Haunted Basement, the podcast, is brought to you by Haunted Basement, the production company. Haunted Basement is a full-service video production company that creates professional content for every budget to promote your business or brand. Our portfolio has a bunch of different videos, including branded content, social ads, music videos, documentaries, and uh, our credits include an editing role on a feature film. We are a sibling-run production company, and together we have over three decades of experience working in film, TV, digital media, and marketing. So if you need a video to promote your business or brand, reach out. Get in touch. Let's talk. We have a link to our website in the show notes below, and you can also find us on Instagram at underscore haunted basement underscore. All right, let's start the episode. Nice. Okay, welcome back to the basement. Hello. Episode four. We're back. I'm back from Italy, y'all. Uno, due, tre, quattro. H is back from Italy and in your headphones. Ciao, ciao, ragazzi, ciao. How was how was Venice, AJ? Venice was great. I got a lot of writing done, and I also witnessed a Venetian funeral. Do you guys want to hear what a Venetian funeral looks like? I can just picture like a skeleton on a gondola. Pretty close. So I was I was walking by this church and there was like a crowd of like 200 people all dressed up in, you know, like funeral clothes. And I was just like, what is going on? And I look and there's a huge gondola. A coffin was inside the gondola and there were three gondoliers and they're all wearing like very like, I don't know, formal looking attire. And the gondoliers all lifted their uh, oars up in the air, straight up in the air. And all like 300 people that were witnessing this funeral, guess what they did? Did they sing opera? They started clapping. Everyone started clapping. I've never experienced clapping at a funeral before. And it was like this really solemn event, but also felt really, I don't know, like joyous at the same time. And celebration. Just, yeah. And it also reminded me of, I don't know, reminded me of like watching Lord of the Rings at the end of uh, Return of the King when they like go off in the boats to the Grey Haven. This sort of just like beautiful image of like, you know, the dead going off to going off in the water to a different world. And it was just like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. It was, it was pretty startling. Who's the, who's the boatman that crosses the river Styx in Greek mythology? Oh, Sharon? Uh, yeah. I think it's Sharon, right? Sharon. Sharon. <laughs> you know, that old Greek Sharon. It is. It's C H A R O N. Is it Sharon? Sharon. I don't know. Anyway, that's what I'm imagining with like uh, a gondola with a coffin in it. So I did a little research about it after. I said just clapping at Italian funerals to see if that, <laughs> if that popped up any results. And I found something where they were describing. It doesn't happen often, and it usually happens when someone who is of like a political rank 
dies and like the citizens don't really know this person personally but they respect that the person's contribution to society i was thinking you were gonna say like they raise up the oars and everyone's like (laughs) i love striped shirts and as you know i love singing in opera so i'm thinking maybe i should become a gondolier i'm surprised that there hasn't been or maybe there is but has there been a great musical broadway musical or hollywood musical about a singing gondolier i know let's make it guys the singing let's gondolier oh man i would love to watch that i was watching i started watching a movie today because i don't feel super well and um what was it called oh my god it was an old movie and it's just so funny like the way they cut different scenes like this girl's like we were laughing for hours and then, and then, like, the next scene, it was like, sorry, I was later. We were still laughing. And they were, like, in a different location. <laughs> what movie was this? <laughs> designing designing women or designer women. Okay. No. <laughs> Hold on. I'll, I'll find it. You guys keep talking. You talk amongst yourselves. So looking yeah. for designer there women. Were some, like, there were some really, really... I'm pretty sure like Gregory Peck was in it. Have you watched The Apartment? I, I've watched The Apartment since oh, our last shoot. episode. No, not let's, yet. Let's hear your thoughts, Bumps. Definitely a movie of its time. Or <laughs> like a movie that <laughs> I don't know if you could do. I'd be interested. You could do a remake, but you'd have to do... Um, you have to really adapt it for modern times, I think. Yeah, for it's the just... Me Too movement. Yeah. Shirley MacLaine's eyes sparkle in that movie. Did you notice that? Just the way they light her eyes are just like sparkling. Honestly, I was mostly commenting on how Jack Lemon uh, looks like if our puppy Louie was a human being. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your Boston Terrier. Yeah, no offense to Jack Lemon oh, or his my family, God. but so. But he, that he is has, so funny. But he has his peppiness. He has a like, you know, at least they act back in the day when they they talk yeah. really fast and they're really animated. Like yeah. this and blah, 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 these dealing cards. And <laughs> Why do they all talk like this? The, That's what uh, I want to know. Why do we stop talking like this? It's the mid-Atlantic accent that was popular in like the, what, 20s, 30s. I think in like the 40s, 50s, it started to slowly die down. And then the 60s. I wonder why. I'm so curious. I think it's like trying to sell to a British audience where you have like an American accent that like vaguely sounds British. Yeah. Makes sense. We're from Britain, not we. Hey, I'm from Italy. (laughs) Ciao. (laughs) All right. So you saw, you clapped at a funeral, or you at least experienced the clapping. I witnessed funeral <laughs> clapping. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I went on a haunted Venice walking tour, and there was an Australian yes. family with me. I, you know, I arrived at this bridge at 10 p.m., and this uh, this British man who had been living in Venice for five years, he was the guide, and it was just me, one other person, and then a, an Australian family with two little kids. And the guide was like, hi, this is a uh, haunted Venice walking tour. You know, it's an 18 plus <laughs> tour. And the the mom was like, oh, they're fine. There was like a 10 year old girl and an eight year old boy. They're fine. Oh, my God. And at least the guide was like, oh, yay. And he brought us to some <laughs> like he was telling us some gruesome stories like of, oh. an, of an Italian uh, general who was like 
skinned alive during um, a battle and and um, the ten year old girl was just eating this shit up. She just loved. She just loved <laughs> the, the gory details. And he told us about this this well, this old well that um, this creature lived in, and it dragged a little girl down there. And now, no no children are allowed in that square at night after the sun goes down. Oh, I was too afraid to even approach this well. And this ten year old girl just like walks right up and like touches it. So um, that's another thing I witnessed in Venice. And then, you know, I just ate such good food. What did you have for breakfast? Okay, let me tell you my breakfast routine. I would wake up. I would walk down to the pasticceria. I don't know how to pronounce it. You know, the pastry shop. And I would buy some sort of like almondy croissant thing. It wasn't Uh a croissant, but like something like that. Yeah. But the thing is... There are just so many fucking pigeons walking around everywhere on the streets in Venice. <laughs> and they would just walk into the pastry shop because they were like swinging doors. So the pigeons, like two pigeons would come in with hey, like one person. Food? And they would, they would, you know, where you're in a tiny little pastry shop. So there's like four people in there and five pigeons. And they're, and whenever like the, the door opens, the pigeons would like start fluttering around. And <laughs> the person behind the, the counter was like, the porta, the porta, trying to get them to get out. It was, I've never eaten a pastry before and had pigeon wings like flapping in my face. Pastry with a side of pigeon. Gross. How did, how do you say, oh, que schivo, que schivo. Que schivo. Anything else you want to say about Venice before we move uh, on? Last thing I'll say about Venice, um, walking those narrow streets at night alone and all of like the, the entryways are just like pitch black and you don't mm-hmm. know who's going to, if someone's going to pop out of them. It just, it was always unnerving, always really unnerving. And I would always like be holding my breath for like the 15, 20 minute walk home because I, I was living in a part of Venice that, you know, you, you get five minutes away from San Marco and it's not touristy anymore. It's just like people just right. living their lives and most of them are inside. So it was a lot of walking alone in the dark that, <laughs> that really got me jazzed. Creepy. Well, thank you all for joining me on my Venice adventure. We've got Blythe Robertson coming up next. Who is she? You're going to have to find out. You sound like a smooth jazz <laughs> radio DJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about, um, what was it, Magic uh, Midnight? This is uh, yeah, Midnight magic. magic with David Allen Boucher. I'm Boucher. <laughs> I know. So His voice was like the ultimate like will put you to sleep it was Uh, so good i wonder if there were any lawsuits for like people that were driving home with midnight magic on (laughs) because he was was really relaxing all right well stay tuned we've got more coming right down the pipe here on haunted basement of the podcast smooches how do you take men when you hate men Hello, and welcome back to Haunted Basement, the podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Bubba. And I'm Ashley, with a cold. We are siblings, and we run a production company called Haunted Basement, 
And this is our podcast where we talk about the movies, music, and pop culture that inspires and influences our video work. Today, our guest is someone who Bubba and I both consider a friend and collaborator. She's a comedy writer and the author of the book, How to Date Men When You Hate Men, and the upcoming America the Beautiful? Question mark. One woman in a borrowed Prius on the road most traveled. Blythe Robertson, welcome to the basement. Thank you for having me. So Blythe, let's explain how you know both Bubba and me. You first met Bubba, correct? Yes, I met Bubba in Harvard College. Uh, we, God, what year? That would have been like 2010, fall of 2010. I think it was 2010, yeah. I was a freshman. Yeah, I was a sophomore. And um, I was working for a comedy show called On Harvard Time, the premise of which was like the Daily Show of Harvard, which was, you know, not something anyone had necessarily asked for or wanted, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was very uh collaborative supportive youtube comedy show that taught me and a lot of other people how to make comedy and how to make video content and i met baba there when you did you audition to be a correspondent or did you just show up i think <laughs> i auditioned to be a correspondent because my earliest memory is being behind the desk and having those studio lights just completely blinding me and being scared out of my mind but um started writing and directing for OHD, which was so fun. Bob, you were part of it as a freshman? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was living at home at the time, a recent college graduate in a wonderful economy. <laughs> and <laughs> my parents and I just loved on Harvard time. <laughs> it was really good. It was really cute. I didn't know what you guys were talking about half the time because it was very much to do with Harvard, but we enjoyed it. <laughs> I was telling Ashley and AJ that um, I remember in like the first week that I joined the show, I submitted uh, a script that we were reviewing. And you know, we used to do those like those kind of writers meetings. Yes, yeah. You tore mine apart. <gasps> no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, That's so, what makes you better. Yeah, I know. I think I learned a lot in my four years with On the Harvard Time. Uh, I think about that writing environment all the time because i had never really written anything before and just having like a whole room of people read and talk about your stuff and no one knows it's you and like everything is actually considered like oh maybe we will use this was just i feel like the perfect way to learn how to like really write stuff blythe you and i met in my downtown los angeles apartment in 2013 what you guys met in LA? We met in LA. I can't remember what the circumstances well, were. Well, because I was out there visiting to see if I wanted to move to LA or if I wanted to move to New York, and right. um, yeah, and Baba was like staying with you or something, so I came and met you. And then I wrote in my diary, like I met Baba's older brother. I think that he's going <laughs> to be a part of my life for quite a while. I really like talking to him. Oh, also, his friend Jonathan. Oh, was there. Jonathan, <laughs> shout out oh. Jake. <laughs> Life and Jonathan have a history. We drove from Maine I to can't imagine New York guys together. Being together. And Life <laughs> saying Bruce Springsteen the entire way. <laughs> it was amazing. So I met Blythe in 2013. She moved to New York first. I followed shortly after. And then, I don't know, one day in 2014, Blythe and Julia Linden were like, let's make a web series. And I got involved. And we made a web series called Kill Me Now for, it was like two years of our lives. We were all assistants to various 
celebrity slash actors and had a lot of time on our hands during the day, which we, <laughs> we'd just slip away and um, shoot during the day. It was it was great. And it was also a great learning experience of how to like direct someone else's script and also edit and also work in comedy, which I'd never done before. And then Blythe wrote a little snippet about me in her book how to date men when you hate men which whenever i am in a bookstore especially if i'm on a date in a bookstore i'm like i'm in this book and my date would always be like it's so what? funny <laughs> get me out of here that's so funny i didn't know you did that do you guys want to tell that story a blight you can go ahead yeah people should buy the book yeah people should buy the book for sure <laughs> yeah it was okay so the part that i think you're referring to originated in a PowerPoint that I used to perform around town called Men I Thought Were Flirting With Me and Why, uh, which was a true retelling of all these different men that I was so convinced were flirting with me. And your entry was that you and I had gone to see some movie at like Film Forum and there was a trailer before the movie for um, Hard Day's Night and you were like, that movie is great. And I was like, I've never seen it. And you were like, you should see it. And I was like, well, ding, you went to film school. You know a lot about movies. You should make me a list of movies that I should watch. And you were like, great. And then like four hours later, <laughs> I got an email from you that was 99 movies. And I was like, <laughs> this man is in love with me. <laughs> like, who would make a list of 99 movies? There's no other explanation. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I guess I, I guess AJ and I have to date now. And then later I was like, was that a flirt? And you were like, no, I am just enthusiastic about movies. <laughs> it's really funny. I was thinking about that story and now like people understand that AJ just loves movies. I know. <laughs> if that isn't, if exactly. that isn't the so best funny. testimonial for Haunted Basement, that a man loves movies so much. Just obsessed with movies. Oh, oh my great. gosh. Yeah. I love your book. Thank you. I have it right here. It makes me laugh. It's one of those books where you could like literally open up any page and just it's like a giggle out loud book. It's so, so funny. Oh, man. Thank you. Well, I think we should talk about how you specifically live a creative life. I mean, you're two books into your writing career and you've hers. written in so many different venues in terms of comedy for stand up, for web series, for television. The New Yorker, Esquire, Cosmo, Vice, GQ, can go on and on. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I can give you a little insight into something that I learned recently when I was in Venice for the past two weeks. I've, I learned something about my creative life. I was trying to write a first draft of the screenplay, and I realized in order to do this, I need to talk to the part of my brain that's the inner critic that does not want me to do any sort of creativity. I have to make friends with this inner critic. So I did something every day before I started writing. I said, okay, inner critic, you can read this, but you just can't read this while I'm writing it. I have to be able to write without you talking. And then at the end of the day, you can read what I wrote and have your comments about it. And I'm wondering if you have a similar process or how you tackle an inner critic if you have one. Yeah, I'm a big believer in shitty first drafts where you just like have to write a first draft and it's just like going to be bad and you 
have to push through that and just be like, okay, whatever, I just need to get words on the page and then I can edit from there. And it's just so much easier to edit, I think, than it is to write. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like the bad words version of doing anything. You got to start. Exactly. And like the starting is difficult, but I think for me, the hardest part is always somewhere in the middle. I don't think I've ever not had this happen where I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea. Like, I shouldn't do this. This is not going to work. And there's always a part of me that's like, I just need to cut my losses and abandon this. But whenever I push through it, like it always ends up working, but it's always bad in the beginning. You know what time it is. We're going to call our mom because we love her. Smooch and squeeze. We're going to call our mom. Hello? Oh, hello, mom. <laughs> hey, you never told me how was Venice. Venice was so good, but... We're we're calling because the episode this week we talked to Blythe Robertson, and we talked to her about living a creative life. Bubba, Ashley, and I were all like, you know who's lived a creative life? Our mom. Remember when you just used the the house as your art project? You just painted all the rooms. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. The person who bought the house loved it. She said, I love all the colors and all the paints and all that. But yes, you're right. I did use my home as my palette. And that was fun. I liked that. And you're always doing it. You're always adding new projects into the mix. You're never done. I know. And I always think to myself, I wish I had gone in that direction because I love it so much. Did it start with you doing drawing all those illustrations of, of faces when you were younger? Does did that where your artistic sensibilities start? Yeah, I think so. I used to draw all those cartoon characters and um and then I had this teacher in high school for art, Miss McMillan, and she was a cuckoo, but such a love. And she was, like, very artsy, and she kept telling me that I needed to write a children's book. But I had it for four years, and I never did, and it's still in the back of my mind. So I'm going to write a, you know what? I'm going to write a children's book. Well, you have illustrated a children's book, so you can cross that one off your list. Well, I illustrated two children's books. Uh Uh-oh, what was the second one? Rory's book. Rory, your grandson, yep. That he dictated I illustrated that. Where's that? I haven't seen that yet. You haven't seen that? No, I no. haven't either, but I know it exists. Oh, okay. I'll have to get it from Ash. What's it called? Uh, um, I forget. <laughs> I wanted to ask about, uh, speaking of books, how, how did you get into Stephen King, and why did you let us read Stephen King as young as we <laughs> did from a very young, impressionable age? I don't know. I was probably in sixth or seventh grade and I liked to read and then his stories were believable even though they were crazy I was always looking for stuff like that because other things just bored me but his stuff just just my imagination would just go crazy with all of his you know He's just, a, he's an incredible writer. He can lure you in so well that uh, you can do what I ended up doing, which is spending a year and a half straight reading the Dark Tower series, all eight books, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. 
Yeah. Even though I objectively did not like it. <laughs> I remember yep. closing, you know, finishing the the last book and being like, thank God that's over. I can move on with my life. The thing about Stephen King, even when he writes a thousand page novel, he writes and his prose is so readable. It's like, it's it feels like I'm eating popcorn. I'm just yum, 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 yum. Yeah. He writes 10 pages every single day. Because that means in a month or two, he has like enough for a novel, but he never really has more than a very loose outline of where he's going. So he said that, yeah, sometimes it leads me down a path where like this book absolutely sucks. This book isn't going anywhere. But so long as I do it 10, you know, 10 pages every single day, I'll, I'll get somewhere eventually. So, I mean, let's let's be honest. It does feel like he doesn't have an outline in a lot, a lot of his books. There's a lot of rambling. Good for him. 10 pages a day. That's amazing. 10 a day, baby. So do you have any, you know, last tips for living a creative life? <sighs> tips on living a creative life. I guess you have to block out what people think and say because then you can't be creative. You can't use your imagination because you're you're kind of being blocked by negativity of other people's thoughts so i think that's the first just go into it maybe don't tell anybody what you're doing just do it and don't care about what anybody says or does i love that advice i think conquering or maybe becoming friends with your inner critic is a very important step in trying to be creative. That's that's a tough thing. It's tough. It's a daily, um, you know, it's a daily thing. You can be on top of it one day, and then the next day you got to be like, oh, shoot, i got to try it again. Yeah, yeah. But it's never, I mean, what's going to happen if you do something or make something creatively, and it's not what you wanted? You just start all over again and do something else. Yeah. All right, well, we'll let you go, but thanks for taking yeah. the call. Well, and um, and Blythe, I can't wait to listen to Blythe. You got your, you got a pedicure? Yeah, you get a pedicure? Yeah, you see my feet, man. Ooh, Now we're talking. Now nice. we're talking. Everyone, everyone should see your feet. Check them out. <laughs> it's too bad. It's like it's below zero here, and my feet are in boots and very heavy socks, but I needed to get them done. All right, honey. I love you. Love you, too. Love you, too. I'll smooch you later. Bye. Where does your confidence come from? Because it shines through in all, in all of your work and, and in your answer that you just said. You have so much confidence, um, and it's amazing. Thank you. I don't feel that is necessarily true when I'm, like, writing. I feel like this book I just wrote, there was a lot of times where I just like, God, this is so bad. I wish I had an MFA. I wish like someone would teach me how to write this book. And I think like for me, the trick was like 23 hours a day. I would be like, this book is garbage and is going to ruin my life. And then for one hour a day, I would be like, I'm going to win the Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction for writing this book. And it's just like <laughs> holding on to that one hour a day. That's like, maybe this is good. And I yeah, mean, that's... sometimes it's like, months and months and i'm just like this is garbage but then just trusting that eventually like it'll come back around do you write every day i try to write every day i mean i'm like not always great about it but 
Ideally, I wake up at eight in the morning, I immediately sit down and write for two hours, and then I have breakfast, and then I write for two more hours, and then I have lunch, and then I write for two more hours, and then I like will go for a walk and then write for two more hours, and then like do other work and have fun. But it's definitely not just like sitting and typing for two hours straight. There's a lot of like looking at Instagram and like playing with my hair and giving myself split ends and stuff. Um, <laughs> something that I'm really happy I did early on in deciding I wanted to like be a writer was I took a lot of long form improv classes, which is like kind of cringy thinking back because it like definitely was a cult. <laughs> but it forced you to like be up on stage and be like, well, I have to fucking do something, you know, and it's like terrifying. But like, I can always say something. And just I think writing now, it's the same thing where it's like, I don't really believe in writer's block because I can always write something. I have a little quote from the end of your book that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. It says, if 60% of my romantic neuroses come from watching rom-coms and wanting my life to conform to narrative structures, then maybe it's on me to change those structures through my writing? Question mark. I wish you put a period or an exclamation <laughs> point, but I know why you put the question mark. So a few questions from that. So... First of all, Asia always talks about how you love, like, the New York rom-coms. Yeah. What is your favorite rom-com and why? Just for, like, number of times that I've watched it, it's probably You've Got Mail, which is, like, you know, it's so funny. I love Nora Ephron. I think she's so funny. And, I mean, it's also, like, a movie about language and, like, falling in love with someone about language. And it's a movie about New York. The love of reading. Yeah, I think definitely You've Got Mail. You've completely changed my perception of that movie. When I was growing up, I thought You've Got Mail. I was going to say, I'm going to have to give it a rewatch. I thought it was yeah. a boring movie. And then I rewatched it after hearing your passion for it. And yeah, it has this like autumnal glow to it that Nora Ephron can only capture. Yeah. It's like a yes. nice, warm, cozy vibe. Something that I read, I read a a biography of Nora recently and one of the most interesting tidbits I picked up was she was like I always try to put Christmas and New Year's into rom-coms because they just like have extra magic and you get to have your characters just like feel emotions <laughs> that they wouldn't feel otherwise which I thought was so smart why not if you're making it up anyways put yeah. in the good stuff yeah. I, I watched You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle back to back for the first time this past year and oh. I thought it was so weird to see Tom Hanks and You've Got Mail as like a weird kind of creepy bad guy. Yeah. He's bad. Yeah. He was kind of like abrasive in like the 90s movies, which is weird because I feel like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, Tom Hanks is so charming. And now I'm like, oh my God, what did that do to my brain that I was like, Tom Hanks being a dick is charming. And I think that's what you're getting at it in that quote. And so like, how do you think you are changing those narratives and, and what do you want to do? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm going to be slightly vague about this just because I don't know exactly how much I'm allowed to say, but I've been in development on the first book as a like TV comedy for, God, I had my first meetings with a production company about it four years ago. And wow. I ended up going with a production company that I'm with because we had a big discussion about how we were like TV can teach people how to love and TV can like change how people 
treat one another and it can really make a difference in the world. And like, I was really hoping that the How to Date Men show could teach people how to love each other better. And they were hoping mm-hmm. the same thing. So hopefully the show gets made and we can kind of like in our own little way do that. And I do feel like TV specifically, and and there are certain movies, but TV right now is doing such a great job of that and like changing the narrative, especially for for women, putting them in a position of power, showing realistic, <laughs> realistic interpretations of of love and dating and navigating this crazy, messy world. So that's amazing. And my fingers and toes are crossed for you because I would love to see that on screen. Thank you. I mean, development hell is a real thing, especially if you want to live a creative life. You're going to have projects that are, some projects are going to be stuck in development hell for a long time. Like sometimes movies take 10 years to make. And um, I'm wondering, did this book, America the Beautiful, did this sort of spring out of being like, okay, this is not working out right now. I'm going to follow this idea. Uh, I guess I was kind of lucky that I started working on them both at around the same time. It was like I was writing How to Date Men When You Hate Men, thinking about how lucky it is that Bill Bryson gets to just travel around and write funny books about it. And I was like trying to convince my editor and my agent that it would be a good idea for me to do the same thing. And they were like, that's not a good idea and that no one's going to buy that book. (laughs) And I would kind of, I would run it by them every once in a while. And then I finished writing the book, started working on the TV pitch. And then at around that time, uh, maybe around the time the book came out, I was like, what if I did the road trip book, but it was also about being a woman on the road? And like, there are all these canonical male travel narratives, but there's none for women. And they were like, okay, that actually could be a good idea. So I had like, had my first meetings about how to date men, the TV show in February of 2019. I quit my job at Colbert in March of 2019, went on the road in early June of 2019. And then like, when I was on my road trip, I was meeting with showrunners potential showrunners for the show and then i came home and started um working on the book proposal and when i was out in la for the emmys that year i met the woman that i chose as my showrunner and so then i was kind of concurrently working on the tv show pitch working on the book proposal i sold the book and the show pitch at around the same time which was crazy and then from then on out it was really nice to have both of those things going on so like as you know like the tv show stuff is a lot of hurry up and wait so it'd be like Mm -hmm. a lot a lot a lot and then just me waiting for a million other people to like read the drafts (laughs) and then i could just work on my book and i was like if i didn't have the book to work on i would go crazy waiting around okay so based on what you just said you have to be two different people basically you have to be writing and creating and you have to be business savvy like looking out for yourself because no one else is going to how do you how do you balance that and where does that business mind come from because i'm sure like there's a thousand people who are trying to get their own interests ahead of yours yeah i mean it's definitely really hard like i yeah i i don't know that i necessarily have an answer to that the business side of it is something i'm still like trying to figure out because like i think where i am with it is like i have 
I think like succeeded. Like I think I've done pretty well in just like I didn't think I would ever even write or sell one book, let alone two. And like it's crazy to me that I'm in development on a show that I would like write and like be an executive producer on. But like I like don't really have any money. <laughs> like I'm like pretty broke and like I'm like, oh fuck, I need to get a job. Like I might have to like go back to like even asking teen tutoring when I get back from book tour. Cause it's just like so hard to make a living as like just a writer. And I mean, especially now with like the TV, all the mergers and stuff, it's like, it's definitely harder to be. I literally am kind of like, oh fuck, maybe I should just like find um, a lawyer and get married to a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Book number three. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I am always very curious for creative people when you go back and revisit your work how does it make you feel how does it make you feel rereading things that you wrote five ten years ago yeah um i will say like the most recent thing i really did reread was how to date men i like skimmed through it because i was doing an edit on this draft and like one of the notes was like we want to get more of the voice of the book into it and it had been so long since i had read the book <laughs> So I was reading it and my most prominent reaction was like, oh, a crazy woman wrote this book. Like this woman who wrote this book is fucking insane. And like, it was really interesting to feel that because like, I know that I felt these things very strongly when I wrote it. And like, I just feel very differently now, but it, I didn't want to like post that anywhere because still like every day maybe not every day but every other day i get a dm from a stranger like a young woman who's like your book means more to me than any book i've ever read and like i don't want to like shit on that i guess or i don't want to like diminish that by being like i was fucking insane when i wrote that and i think also like something that i fully realize is like i'm fucking insane right now like i'm definitely crazy now <laughs> it's just like in a way that i can't see fully that I won't see for right. like five years. And I, I think like it doesn't mean the things that I'm feeling and the thoughts that I'm having are any less valid. But there was a, a an older version of me that might read work from before and not feel like I would write that now and find that mortifying. But when I read How to Date Men and was like, oh my God, it made me <laughs> excited to want to write another book about love and dating and stuff because I was like, I've grown so much. I've experienced so many things and like, I want to build on this instead of like diminishing this. I mean, it's the best title ever. So I'm not surprised you have a lot of women DMing well, you. The title, as I think Bubba knows, was created by Bubba's wife's high school best friend, who was the associate editor of my book. Oh, what? Oh, my God. Yeah. Small world. Okay. Shout out, Bryn. Great title. <laughs> <laughs> great, great title. Uh, Blythe. When you write, do you write for a specific person? Who are you writing for? Or d does it depend on this, the piece? Um, I mean, I definitely feel like there are people that I have in my mind when I'm writing, which is, I don't know that that's actually serving me. Like when I wrote my new book, I was really had it in my head that I wanted to write a book that my dad could enjoy, which is, you know, my dad is not really like my audience. Um, and then I, at some point, had to just be like, this book is not for my dad. And mm. then I 
wrote the book, gave a copy to my dad, and he was just like, his reaction was mostly to be like, I found a typo or like, this must be a typo. And I was like, Damn. no, that's actually a joke. And he'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense <laughs> and no one's going to understand. And it was really hurtful to me and like really devastating to me. Yeah, that's rough. And then I also want to know, like, how do you know when your writing is good? Is it when you feel the most vulnerable when you're writing? I don't know that I necessarily know when my writing is good, but I definitely like there are times when I make myself giggle and I feel like that's (laughs) always good. But then it doesn't necessarily always translate to what other people think are funny. Like I uh, overwrote my book by about 100 percent like my book. I wrote it and the first draft was 150,000 words and I emailed Sarah like, hey, I forgot to ask you how long this book is supposed to be. And she was like 75,000 words. And so it was a long process of cutting stuff, like me cutting her cutting. And she ended up cutting a lot of my like favorite jokes. And I was like, Sarah, these jokes have to go in. They are like hilarious to me. Um, And she did let me put them back in. Nice. But yeah, so I don't really know when my writing is, you know, what other people would consider good, but I know when it when I like it. Um, can I ask you when you fell in love with reading? Can I tell you the story of when I fell in love with reading? Yeah. And then you can tell me yours. Okay. I used to love cold cereal. The more sugar, the better. <laughs> and I would eat my bowl of cold cereal and read the back of the cereal box. And that combination okay. of like eating just delicious sugary cereal while just reading words just the pleasure yeah, of yeah. just reading words in the back of a cereal box when I'm seven, six years old. That really sparked one of the one of the big sparks for me of like, oh, I love reading. <laughs> what a leap from like the back of the Reese's Puffs box to oh, a Stephen Reese's King novel. Yeah. 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 That leap so super good. fast. When when did you realize that you love reading? Oh, I don't know that I have a moment like that, but I definitely do remember when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, um, I guess I was like reading too quickly for like the rest of the class. Like I would read the whole book in like one day. Yeah. So I, they let me like read a bunch of like extra stuff, like the whole Chronicles of Narnia while everyone else was doing a unit on whatever book they were reading. And I feel like that time of my life is when I got hooked, but it was probably just because did you guys have the Pizza Hut, the personal pan pizza program for reading no i put this in an essay once and the editor made me take it out because she was like i have no fucking idea what you're talking about but <laughs> in my school district if you read like a certain number of books like every five books you read you could go to pizza hut and they would give you a personal pan pizza if you were a kid and you were like i've what? read these five books Damn. so yeah, like that definitely was like I was extremely pizza motivated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who is it? That's kind of like I think around here, and I still am not positive it's true. If you were like wearing your helmet and a police car was by, he'd give you a coupon for free ice cream. Oh wow! I don't know if that was true or if our mom just told us that to make us wear our helmets <laughs> when we were riding our bike. So I think we have a new business venture, which is Haunted Basement Cereal with short stories on the back oh, of the box. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be oh, I would love that. And it's like, it aids with digestion because the uh, the stories are a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's best if you're a little lactose intolerant and you read <laughs> these really like R-rated stories. 
I was just having um, lunch with Phoebe Robinson, the like stand up comic today. Yeah. And she was talking about she had just seen um, Death of a Salesman on Broadway. And she was like, it's so crazy because I like obviously read that in high school and like seeing it right. now as like an adult person is just so different. And I feel like I don't know that I ever had a moment where I was like, oh, literature like clicks for me now just because like I was probably like an overconfident bitch. It was like, I understand everything at all times. But like, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure of aging to like revisit things and just like have such a deeper understanding or like even just a different understanding of things than I had even 10 years ago. You just mentioned her. So how did you meet Phoebe Robinson? I've seen her on like Two Dope Queens. She's so, so funny. And is she kind of like your mentor? You guys seem to have a really good relationship. Yeah, I met her uh, in 2015. I was hired to be a researcher on this show called White Guy Talk Show. I was like, this show sounds horrible. I hate white guys. And then <laughs> it turns out that like it was a sarcastic title. It was hosted by uh, a Latina woman and an Indian man. <laughs> and I was like the token white person on staff. So Phoebe was a writer and I sat directly behind her and so we kind of like struck up a friendship on that show and it ended up getting canceled like five months later before i think it even actually premiered uh officially <laughs> but yeah i like kept in touch with phoebe she was just like i think that was her first writing job but she like works harder than anyone i'd ever seen and she was working on her book i think she had just sold it and she was performing two dope queens at the time but this was before i think the podcast and she was just like an incredible like mentor, as you say, like she just gave me so much like knowledge about how the business worked and just like an inspiration because Phoebe seriously yeah. works harder than anyone I've ever met. And so, yeah. And then also like even though she truly was more busy than anyone I had met to that point and still have met, she would do a really good job of like checking in with me and like hanging out and seeing how things were going. And when I was working on my book proposal, she was, I think, the only person I knew who had ever done anything like that. And she was so generous with her time to be like, this is how it works. This is what's normal. Like, this is what's important. This is what isn't important. And yeah, and just like, it's been incredible to see her career take off in the way that it has, which is just like, so deserved. Yeah. Oh, that sounds magical. <laughs> That's really nice. Okay, the last line in your acknowledgments uh -huh. <laughs> in your book. You're talking about your family, how much you love them. Thank you, thank you. Please stop texting me so much. I got the group text for it. <laughs> and that really made me laugh because is there anyone out there who loves a group text string? I feel like anytime I come out of a movie and I have 64 text messages, I'm like either someone in my family died or my brother like saw someone at the grocery store. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I just don't respond when I'm not into it anymore. Yeah. Some texts go on read and then I get in trouble um, because I miss valuable information about yeah. like <laughs> key moments that are coming up there should be like a like a little icon that says like important like yes. actual information yeah well that will all change when we all have assistants that just read us you know <laughs> the text and give us the quick debrief yeah there you go. <laughs> this is a great time to plug the haunted basement internship program that we're going to start up if anyone <laughs> wants to <you> know, <laughs> come join go. us and read our family threads to us Blythe. 
place. We love you. Thank you for joining us in the basement. Can you tell us when your book, America the Beautiful? Question mark comes out. Where we can buy it? If we can pre-order it today, tell us everything. My book comes out April 18th. You can pre-order it now wherever you like to buy books. Be it a website, be it a bookstore. Um, and is what else was I supposed to say? I think that's it. Where can we find you too? Where, yeah, where are you? Yeah, my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle are at Blythe Like Happy. It's not a great handle, but it is my Instagram handle. <laughs> I and like it. You can, if you follow me and you want to see me on book tour, I will be announcing those dates soon. What? Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to Haunted Basement, the podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. How do you date men when you hate men? Of movies from my brother. Let's talk. To-